wonderful to be with you. For those of us live streaming this morning, a special welcome to you as well. Hoping you feel as engaged as those that are here present this morning on a weekend that we pause to recognize Independence Day. Independence Day weekend it is. And so we've chosen a passage of scripture, pausing in our series in the book of Acts going into the order of the two testaments to reflect upon how the scriptures relate to moments such as these. Love for you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Psalms, Psalm 33 in particular, and what I'd love to do is to focus our attention this morning, beginning in verse 6, taking it down through the end of this Psalm, extraordinary. And I want you to join with me in seeing the connection here between what I'm going to call this morning creational thinking and national thinking, and how creational thinking is the prerequisite for quality and national thinking. Beginning now in verse 6, because that's where I'm going to kick it off, you and I find these words, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Archivus. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Read on. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king's not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Your conclusion. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This morning we're going to be looking at these words. We're going to be exploring how they relate to modern day life, written in time past written for all times, past, present, and future. And we're going to see how this now connects to a weekend such as this as we look to our Lord in prayer. So, our Father, now on this Independence Day weekend, granted, people are traveling, extraordinary numbers going from one setting to another, 
by Father, there is a sense, whether in the gathered state or the scattered state, that collectively we're one before you. There's a union in Christ. It's found in the deep, rich relationship. The sovereign God who sent his son to this world to die for our sins. A remarkable weekend and a remarkable time period of 2020. Obviously, people are thinking about a wide range of national matters. What we need is biblical perspective for national matters. That there's a government above governments. That there's a sovereign. And there is ultimate authority. And so, Father, what we're asking is that as we explore these verses together, and we see how creation and a creational <clears throat> worldview is a prerequisite for a national perspective, that we understand first things. So, Father, what we're praying in these moments you give us to explore your word together, that once again you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wheels, so we've come here now to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you, I asked. She came in panting a bit before the appointment. I guess I'm a few minutes late, she said, but that's par for the course. I said, how so? She said, I went to see a movie last night. And had a hard time finding a place to park. So I got into the movie about 10 minutes late, missed the beginning, and I was confused by the plot from that point on. I leaned back and thought about that. Because metaphorically speaking, that in many ways is indicative of the national situation we're in. For you see, for too many people, metaphorically speaking, they've missed, they've missed the opening moments of history. And as a result, they're utterly confused by the plot ever since. In other words, what I'm saying this morning is that creational thinking precedes national perspective. But for the one who has an adequate worldview, taking into account a sovereign God who is creational, one who has a creational mindset then is able to enter in intelligently, wisely and effectively into the national dialogue of today. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What life matters? These are issues that are addressed in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. Creational thinking precedes national perspective. What you choose as a starting point in your worldview will ultimately shape the way in which you will view life. God is the starting point, and he breathed this world into being. 
What I want to do with you this morning is to take that analogy of the woman who arrived in my office panting, apologizing and saying, not only have I been a few minutes late to this appointment, but I, I missed the first five, ten minutes of the movie and left me in utter confusion ever since as to what that plot was all about. I want to apply that now to our national context. And I want to draw out for you two significant connections that are found in Psalm 33, the first of which is found on verse 6 down through verse 9. We'll start off this way. I want you to note with me the nature of the creation and that it came by the sovereign word of God. Now that's critically important to understand. And so beginning now in verse 6, you and I find these words that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. This is your starting point. And again, what you choose as your starting point in life will shape the way in which you view all of life, including the quality of life. Are we made in our image or are we made in the image of God? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, you see. And here I want to emphasize the power of the word. John did. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, not some, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not to be outdone, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 of verse 3 would pen, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. But you're still at it. You're in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. This deals with the power of the word, the great exhale upon all we know as the, hum as the universe. Here we see creation combined with creativity. And then you read on here, by the breath of his mouth, speaking poetically so it seems, all their host. And in Genesis chapter 2, and verse 7, you and I read, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The exhale of the breath of life. You see. This is God. He's sovereign. In my astronomy section in my library, one of the books is by Dr. Jostrel, God and the Astronomers. The scientist has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peaks, says Dr. Jostrel, cosmologist. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, 
he is greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. But also not to be outdone. This regarding the Hubble telescope. Again from my library. Orbiting the Earth since 1990, taking pictures into the deep space on June 8th of 1992. Took a picture of the center of the M51 Whirlpool Galaxy, 23 million light years from our galaxy, you see. Picture of the core revealed a massive black hole shaped like a cross. Now, it may look small, but the width of the cross is 1,100 light years across, which means that if you could travel at 186,234 miles per second, it would take you over 1,000 years to get from one side of the cross to the other. Scientists believe the black hole has been there since beginnings. I wrote these words. It's as if God is saying, quote, um, glad you finally got here because this is what I wanted to show you all along. Well, there's Dr. Jastrow, or Highlander penning thoughts about the Hubble telescope. What's most important is the Holy Spirit is revealed through the psalmist. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Same Hebrew imagery that was utilized in the great song of Moses to describe the waters heaped up so that the Israelites could cross the waters when the Egyptians were fast approaching. Same imagery. Uh, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses, storehouses. Now he's using grain imagery like a silo. He's picturing for you and for me as if there's this storehouse of replenishment and resource being made available by the sovereign one of the universe. So what do you make of this? What do you think of this? Where do you go with this? In the movie Independence Day, which hit the theaters back in the 90s, seems like ages ago, uh, the viewers felt like, man, he'd been there, done that. Well, they got it because the film was initially a, a remake of a 53 sci-fi classic, War of the Worlds. One significant difference, though. Let me pick it up from what one writer puts. While both versions feature aliens invading the Earth, in the 53 movie, scientists came up with a weapon that is eventually destroyed. The panicking population is forced to turn to God. Prayers are being answered. The aliens contract an Earth-born bacteria, and suddenly they die off. All that men could do had failed, says the final voice, Silver. Deliverance from the hand of God alone. The film ends with a scene of people standing on hillsides singing praise to God, 53. But the contemporary version, well, 
dramatic change in American culture from 53 into the 90s. The movie Independence Day well, it nods politely, like so many people do in God's direction. But the real deliverance comes to the deployment of advanced military technology, and a few strategically placed bombs blow up the aliens and save the world. And Independence Day is a celluloid expression of a widespread belief in science and technology as a means of salvation, as Dr. Jastrow ponders, as the psalmist then addresses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Same word utilized to describe Abram's response to God in that magnificent chapter of Genesis chapter 15. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and stood firm. Hey, let's take a walk through D.C. Did you do that with me? Congressman Grothman was in first service. He could have given the walk rather than me doing it here. But let's make our way to the Library of Congress. Take a look at what you and I see. New Gingrich. Dr. Gingrich, he's got a doctorate in history, has given you, in essence, a walking tour book on how to make your way through D.C. and looking at the various inscriptions that give praise and honor to God. And as you and I make our way into the Library of Congress reading room, look at what you spot. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, you see. Now, if you look furthermore, very carefully, Statue of Science. I, I practiced this. I want to make sure I was good with targeting today. Statue of Science. Science holds in her left hand a globe of the earth. But in her right hand is a mirror held forward so that all may perceive the image of truth. And when you are made in the image of God, which you are, you are what G.K. Chesterton, brilliant essayist, penned. We are, metaphorically speaking, statues of God walking about in his garden. Love that. Meanwhile, what I want you to see here, though, is that this is in the statue of science. And this inscription... This inscription is above, not below, the Statue of Science. And I'm speaking as a science major by saying this, as some of you were as well. In other words, the theological is shaping the scientific understanding of this world. In other words, this is special revelation, this is general revelation, and everything comes under the umbrella of the sovereign God of this universe. Now, the challenge is to be able to understand that we can't confuse lowercase authority and uppercase authority. Uppercase authority, God. Lowercase authority, government, not vice versa. Now, once that's understood, and this was established as a visual to remind ourselves 
and that there is authority that is based upon the revealed word of God to give us a greater understanding of what the Independence Day experiences of life are all about, we're ready to move forward, aren't we? And as you and I move forward, and we're going to continue our work walking tour along the way, I want you to, second of all, note with me in the way in which we're going about developing our connections, not only the creation, and that it came by the sovereign word of God, but second of all, the nation, and that it came under, comes under the sovereign watch of God. You see, the creation, that it came by the sovereign word of God, the nation, that it comes under the sovereign watch of God. God is not only watching, God is watching over in the midst of the confusion of life. God is not only watching, God is watching over. Read on. You're up to verse 10 with me. Now, what I want you to see here at this point, and you're, this is in book one of the five books of the Psalms, book one tends to be very heavily focused you see, upon the Jewish nation. Yet God has chosen this particular psalm to extend outward to the other nations as well. And he uses L-O-R-D that is capitalized at this point to drive the point home, the Yahweh, the relational name for God. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. All the political strategies. He frustrates the plans of the people. What I'd like you to do now is to draw a line between verse 10 and verse 11 because you've got the counsel, you see, of, of the people on one hand, the nations, and the counsel of the Lord on the other hand. It's found in 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. One of my former professors, Dr. Wayne Grudem, has written a book entitled Politics. It's a massive thing. And I was reading about a particular time where he, while he was in Italy, uh, about to speak at a gathering, uh, Wayne was walking through the Roman Forum, and he was thinking out loud to himself about the great decrees and edicts that came from the Roman emperors, one after another after another, and yet now Rome is no longer the epicenter of the political systems of this world, you see. God breaks in. God is uppercase, not lowercase, authority. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, therefore, and this is your key verse, you see, in this, in this psalm, uh, Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation. Now notice the juxtaposing of the two. Whose God, that is the generic name for God, known about all the nations. But now, the Lord, the personal name of the Sovereign One. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now, what we want to do on our walking tour is to pause and um, take a good hard look at the Declaration of Independence. And I hope you will do this over the course of the coming days. Now, can we put that out? Yeah, we have it here on the screen. And there it is. And, and there you will have the the names of all those who, who penned their, their names to it, including John Witherspoon, brilliant pastor, 
as well as president of what would become Princeton. Uh, if you've heard of Reese Witherspoon, the actress, well, he, she's a descendant of him. Well, there you will have it. He signed it. He wanted to make certain that it was viewed, visible by one, viewed by all. In fact, he put it this way, because it took so much courage to sign the declaration, that he was the first to put his name down, and he did it with big, bold signatures. So, quote, the king doesn't have to put his glasses on, unquote. Well, he did a good job, but what I want you to see is something else that stands out in the Declaration of Independence. Look what comes next, because not once, not twice, not three times, four times, you and I are going to now spot for people in this document, which is the philosophical framework for understanding the Constitution. It precedes the writing of the Constitution, References to the sovereign one. For example, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, and so on. Next paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident, which means that you and I have got to create and develop a mindset of new self-awareness, of self-evidence, of the creational aspects, and allow for the creational then to frame a dialogue for the national. We hold these truths to be self-evident, which they did when we saw in that prior visual that all men are created equal. I've been reading about uh, Adams and Jefferson and their correspondence with one another. Jefferson's fingerprints are all over this document. Adams eventually grappled with the idea that all men are created equal because he looked at varying degrees of IQ, varying degrees of, of income, and so on and so forth, wrestled with that very notion. But the argument is that made equal in the eyes of God, not necessarily among people, they are endowed by themselves, no, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So now, thus far you have spotted two significant references, the sovereign God. What we are arguing is that the creational precedes the national. This was written before the Constitution itself was ratified. But on to the next page. Look for two more examples. Oh, you found them. Here's another one. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, dot, dot, dot. And now notice, fourthly, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce to do all other acts and things which our independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that was no small undertaking, you see, because all the signers were putting their lives at risk when it came the matter of the Declaration of Independence. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Hope you get to Gettysburg if you haven't already.
Take a little time to study the Gettysburg Address. And as you do, once again, to assist us, uh, President Lincoln, in a very succinct speech, frankly, would state that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. This phrase then ties naturally to what we are saying from the Declaration of Independence, which preceded then the penning of the Constitution. And this is consistent then with what we're arguing about in the development of these verses. But back to the text, because now, because we have said of the fact that we it comes under the sovereign watch of God. Notice then, it's not G-O-D, but capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the relational personal name for God, referenced here at this point. The Lord looks down from heaven, not only watching, but watching over, you see. He sees. sees all the children of man from where he sits, enthroned, he looks out, all the inhabitants of the earth. Notice the connection between the creational and the national. One precedes the other. He who fashions the hearts of them all, observes all their deeds. And now, as he moves forward, thinking militarily, and think about what took place in the Revolutionary War in the midst of all this. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. So, as the British made their way into the Charleston Harbor, hope you get there at some point, there's this unfinished fort that stood on Sullivan's Island in Charleston's Harbor. Double walls, palmetto logs placed 16 feet apart. Sand was packed between the walls. Only the front of the fort was completed, the sides half done, back open. Man, General Charles Lee, who had been sent south by General Washington, took one look at it and called it a slaughter pen, quote unquote, thought the fort should be abandoned. But then, as Paul Harvey would put it, the rest of the story. The British sailed in majestically, only to run aground. As one writer puts it, that means that some of the ships got stuck on shoals, sandbars. The ship's pilots didn't know what the harbor and its safe passageways were about. And since they were stuck anyway, they just—they decided they might as well destroy the fort. Unload their men. Take the island. So they blasted their cannons, and then something unbelievable happened. The shells stuck in the side of the fort. For you see, the soft palmetto wood and the thick sand walls absorbed the shells. Like a sponge might. And the walls just held onto the cannonballs. And the British naval experts had never seen anything like this. And the soldiers who were supposed to march into the island, well, here's the problem there. And the British had misinformed each other about the depth of the water, too deep. Men couldn't get to the island. 
it was a disaster waiting to happen, said a British general. And well, what about those ships stuck on the shoals? You know, what kind of targets would they make, I wonder? Perfect targets. So they were. And meanwhile, the psalmist says, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue civilizations of all time. need to understand that. But we are making our tour through D.C., so let's head into the Capitol building. And as you go into the Capitol building, what you're going to be able to see an image of Moses. This is where law is meant to be made. Not on the Supreme Court. In the legislature. And there is an image of General Washington found in the Capitol building. Kneeling. Well, you're making your way now from the Capitol building, aren't you? And you and I were walking together. We're thinking about these things and how the creational shapes the national. And how this was even understood by the framers of the Declaration of Independence, who were able then to, not once, twice, three times, four times, make reference to God as the philosophical framework for a constitution then to be penned creational, preceded, national. But now you make your way into the Supreme Court, don't you? As we make our way into the Supreme Court, let's take a stop among the main uh, passageway. And there you have it. There's Moses and the Ten Commandments. To put it another way, there's a law above the law. This is uppercase, visually informing lowercase authority, uh, that there is a law above the law. So we pause and we, we talk about all that has taken place and the decisions that have been made over the course of the years by the courts. But then we make our way into the Library of Congress reading room. And as we make our way into the reading room, well, look who is positioned above all those who would take a time to read. There's Moses. There's the Ten Commandments. And we're processing then uppercase versus lowercase, ultimate versus immediate, creational preceding national. And now you're back to the text. And as you and I are back to the text, what we want to do at this point is to be able to understand that this is under God's watch. Creation, word of God, nation, the watch of God. Behold, the eye of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, that is the relational covenantal name for God, Yahweh. He wants a relational connectedness with people. We don't separate creational from national political thinking. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Same word to use to describe Abram when God declared him righteous, having put faith and trust in the one who was to come, we know as Jesus. 
on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death, keep them alive in famine, even looking at the economic realities, the agricultural challenges, the ecological, environmental difficulties that a nation might face. You're up to verse 20. Our soul. There's a collectiveness. Our soul waits for the Lord, which means even right now, Christians across the nation gathered on a Sunday morning will uh, scattered into various settings on uh, travel weekends such as this, or in homes because of COVID, doing their live streams. Our soul waits for the Lord. God be willing to wait for the Lord. Waiting is the rule, not the exception in the Christian experience. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help, our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. And as you ponder how that ends, join with me as we are making our way now to the Washington Monument. As we make our way to the Washington Monument and we're thinking about all the various monuments and inscriptions that have some means of being able to make statements about the ultimate one who, who presides over this nation, lo and behold, here at the very top are the words, praise be to God. It's in Latin, laus Deo. Praise be to God. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So when you're in conversation with people and they get involved in discussions politically, just about everything can be addressed in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Black lives matter, all lives matter. Abortion on and on, made in the image of God. Creational precedes national. Declaration of Independence preceded the Constitution being established. When we put first things first, we've got something to say pertaining to the imagery of this woman who arrived on the scene panting. Sorry I'm late, she said. I smiled. Tell me about your days. She said, same was true for last night. Try to get to the movie theater. About five, ten minutes late to the movie. Missed the beginning. Couldn't follow the plot line from that point forward. People, we are living among those who have missed the first five minutes of the movie. Creational precedes national bring up ultimate authority into the conversation. Talk about the image of God when people are conflicted relationally, racially, nationally. Talk about the sovereign God in all aspects of life. Let the healing begin. Let's stand together. 
For it said, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Our monuments attest to this. Our documents point to this. A, a declaration of independence, which is the philosophical framework preceding the practical applications found in the Constitution itself. We understand first things. What precedes what? God precedes government. Creation precedes nation. In the beginning, God. So we thank you now for this time together. May we be first things people who understand what comes first and how to proceed and develop a dialogue that takes into account who matters most and then begin to talk about all those who matter. And may the result be glory to God's name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.